This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Yes, welcome back to Motor Mania. It's Damien Reid and joined in the studio now by Ian Shanjado and Noel Ebden. And firstly, welcome guys, Eid Mubarak and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Morning, morning. Uh, we were just talking just about the, the Toyota Crown coming back and uh, some of the old models you'd like to see names returning. I mean... Mm. Uh, because this, this this badge has been around for it's a, it's a long, I didn't realise it's the longest running badge that Toyota has. And it's been off the market okay. for a while now. What sort of um, any ideas and badges? Yeah, you'd I've like? got I've got one. I've got one that is the winner. Yeah, but manufacturers <laughs> was it te- a competition. Yeah, yes, I made it. I made <laughs> he's already crowned himself yeah. the winner. Okay, yeah, I made it a competition. It's coming early ago. and hard. Yeah, I guess, he's got yeah. the chocolates yeah. already. Right, but. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to caveat that by saying manufacturers tend to often get this wrong, mm. right? So it, as long as it was done right, then yeah. I just think tell us what the car is. Ford Capri. Bring oh back well, they the, did. You know what they did? On, they bring did it bring back. it back. Yeah, they did. But and I have to say, I've got to wave my hand in the air. And it was it was made in Australia, and it was an appalling car. Yeah, it was um, different Capri. <laughs> different know, Capri. But, but, but that goes to what Noel's saying. The badge came back, and they shouldn't have brought it back on that car. Big long bonnet. Mercury, and it was yeah. sold as a Mercury in the US. That's right, yeah. yeah. Can I suggest two? Go because on. now you've done Capri, I have to put out your famous arch rival, which you actually own, Mazda RX-7. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which Mazda has been threatened to bring back for a decade, but just never well, has. But yep. they are bringing the rotary back. They're working but on it now. it's not an RX-7. Mm. It, no, no, that's gone. But the, the, the rotary engine is coming back. Yeah, RX-7, that's a good call. I like that. Yep. Uh, but I'll have one car, because a lot of people in UAE be like, what is a Capri? Uh, I will look at a car that people in the UAE know. Uh, which is the direct rival to the Toyota Crown, the Nissan Cedric. Oh, oh, the Cedric, yes. Which is a great name for a car and really was. <laughs> Growing up here in the 80s, you either, if you were posh and you had money and you didn't drive a Cressida, which everybody did, you drove either a Crown <laughs> or a Cedric. And by far, the Cedric was the sales victor, as far as I remember. Everybody drove Cedrics because they came with the V6, which mm. is back in the day. But they were so plush. They were so square. The seats had buttons on them. I rest my case. Who, who called it the Cedric? Oh, was, it was a Japanese thing back then. So you, you had, if they named them after English names, they felt they were more prestigious. So they you also had, had, the, had the Gloria. The Gloria, yes. I was about to you know? say. Mitsubishi had this thing about constellations. Yes. So they had the Cordia, the Staria, and they yeah. had all this, 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 the, this, they looked at space and said, we'll name our cars after stars That's and right, galaxies yeah. and things. The Starian would be good to bring back. That was a good yeah, car. Yeah, that was Starian that was. Turbo. Yeah. Again, why car companies used to have so much more bravery and imagination when it comes to these things. Because what have you got? I've got Starian. Yeah. <laughs> Look at <laughs> Mitsubishi, 3000 GT. Bring yeah. that back. Call yeah. the GT. GTO in the US. Yes. Yeah, great car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been 20 years since we've had the crown in the UAE. Um, and so this new one back now, it's back, but it's uh, it, with that at the launch, I always had the old car there that just reminded me of home when I was a kid because we had lots of crowns back back home there. But this one now, it sits a little high. It has a little bit of an SUV look about it, It's but it's not an SUV. Features an inter- interesting hybrid concept as well, um, but it, the thing is, it becomes now the flagship in the Toyota range. And interestingly, like Lexus, though, there's no Toyota badges on this car. It's Crown, and it has a Crown badge. So it's a sub-brand. Yeah, just exactly. So uh, it, because the Crown is, is, as I said before, it's it's, it's Toyota's oldest nameplate, even older than the Corolla, um, and and obviously he holds great significance, but. On all that, uh, I had a chat with uh, with Jacques Brent, the guy who was in the studio here before talking about uh, Toyota's motor racing uh, ambitions with the uh, the TV series a few weeks ago. Well, he was also there, the managing director, of course, at Alpha Tame, who uh, who told me a little bit more about the new Crown. 
So it's got a 2.4 turbo engine, the majority of the drive for the vehicle, and then it's supplemented by two electric motors, one on the front and one on the rear, each putting about uh, out about 80 horsepower. So total combination of 345 horsepower and about 550 newton meters of torque. So quite powerful. <laughs> uh, should get you to you know 100 kilometers an hour in under six seconds if you needed to get there. So the most important thing with a hybrid, obviously, it also does it in a very frugal way from a fuel consumption perspective. So yeah. you should be able to get up to 18 kilometers on a litre, which will always help. Fantastic. 345 horsepower. That's uh, it's remarkable. Um, so obviously the crown that we knew before was the was the premium brand in Toyota back in the 60s and 70s and, and even the 80s. Then Lexus came onto the scene. And I know that the crown brand has been kept alive in the domestic market in Japan as the, the, the badge that was on the cars that we know as Lexus. So how does this now fit into, into the Toyota's model range in the Middle East? Yeah, I mean, this fits in, you know, kind of between the top of the Toyota range and, and obviously the Lexus range. We see it as, you know, kind of the pinnacle of the Toyota range, similar to what Land Cruiser is on the SUV side the crown will be on the passenger car side so yeah that's the role that'll that'll fall obviously more in that sedan space i know it is a little bit uh, higher than what a normal sedan would be we kind of call it a lift-up sedan but you know potentially a little bit closer to you know more of what many people would call a cuv look to it so the avalon is still staying and this goes above that is that correct yeah i mean the avalon will will stay for a little bit longer we still have um, some units but in time um, we look for the crown to replace that at least in terms of where it fits into the lineup Yes, yeah, so that was Jacques Brandt, the managing director at Alpha Tame, uh, and this is the 16th generation of the car. Prices, it, it's up there to, as as you uh, as he sort of alluded to, being the being the premium brand. So we're talking about 200 to 230 thousand dirhams for this one when it lands. So it's yeah, it's, it's it's not bad. In in one way, it's not bad, but in another way, it's a substantial jump from the Avalon. But that's going to be phased what out. What was the old Avalon price? Well, I think it was under 150, wasn't it? Yeah, around about We're something. 150. Like that. But it's a new, new technology, new generation, hybrid, and all that kind of 16th thing. Sixteenth so. gen. Yeah, I'd yes. love to know what car's got the most generations. Wikipedia is your friend. Be. It's got to well, be surely. It'll be the Corolla or the Beetle. No, not, not the Beetle. So they didn't change yeah, generations, right. but it'll probably the Corolla, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but so that's well, well, we're going to stick with the Alpha Tame theme for the moment because uh, they were busy um, for a couple of weeks there because on the roll straight after that, Alpha Tame Automotive unveiled their biggest service and maintenance facility with a network down at Festival City. 47,000 square feet in this place. And they can do, they say, up to 100 vehicles a day down there. Um, now, the good thing about this, if you if you if you uh, are dropping a car in, is that it's next to the Festival City Mall. So you, you can just go over the road and, and, you know, you've got the mall there, you've got taxis galore all around you. You're not stuck in the in the middle of the desert somewhere in an industrial complex. So, But it's not just Alpha Tame cars. They're servicing um, any brand, including commercial vehicles. And one thing that they do is they're, they're putting fixed prices up straight away. So when you go and you book your car, you know what the cost is before you roll through the door. So I had a quick chat with David McNamara, the director of Tier 2 After Sales at Alpha Tame, about their new facility. We'll take older Alpha Tame brands that uh, don't go back to the to the dealers anymore. The big area of the market that we're targeting, Nissans, Fords, you name it, we're happy to take it. We've got our own parts range of um, all makes parts that we'll be able to use on these vehicles. So if a customer drops in, there's a very high possibility that we've got it. If not, our PDC over in uh, in DIP delivers three or four times a day to us, and they've got uh, hundreds and thousands of parts over there. You made two announcements here, a partnership with Total, the the oil lubricant uh, business, but also yep. with uh, Cafu. Yeah. Just tell me a bit about those two. Yeah, so we launched our mobile service vehicles and Cafu were an ideal partner. They have an app and because of the fuel that they offer on that app, 
it has tens of thousands of visitors to the app every single month. So for us, it was the natural progression that if we wanted to get people to understand about our mobile vehicles that can come to your house, your work, that we went on their app. So we're now one of their uh, their providers and we'll do tires, batteries, oil changes, servicing, you name it, we can do it for them. We're out here in the garage at the moment. I can see window tinting areas. I can see wash bays, uh, servicing areas. I mean, basically, if someone wants to ring up, how do they approach you and how do they go about it? We have our call center, 800 My Car. They can go on the autocenters.ae website that we have, and you can book fully online as well. Yes, that was David McNamara from Alpha Tame. Uh, as you mentioned before, funny little green trucks that they've got the car food trucks well they're not they've got they're partnering with uh with car food now to expand that service and we also had a quick chat with the chief business officer of uh Kafu, ala alhuni to uh, to tell you about what uh, exactly Kafu is now offering through the uh, the alpha time partnership we started off with uh, fuel we do car wash and we, we, we were doing that with this vehicle right now the current services that are being offered are battery change tire change oil change but in the future we also see wheel alignment we see any service that you can imagine for a vehicle to be able to be done through a mobile asset to come to the customer so in fact we're open for our customers to tell us what they would love to see this vehicle do for them and we can guarantee you that working with Alpha Time, we're going to be able to deliver that service to the customer Yes, that was Ala Alhuni, the Chief Business Officer of Carfu, telling you about their uh, their partnership with Alpha Tame and that new service uh, dealership, the, the operation of opening up down there at Festival City. Um, yeah, so Carfu offering a, a little bit more than just uh, topping up your car now. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, welcome back to Botomania. I'm Damien Reed, and I'm joined in the studio by Imtah Shanjada and Noel Ebden talking about what we've been driving. Uh, Noel, you posted something on social media the other day, a ridiculous picture of your Ram Power Wagon that you're currently got the wheels of or maybe just handed back, uh, parked next to, uh, was it Grand Wagoneer? From, Grand Cherokee. Grand yeah. Cherokee from, from Jeep. Yep. It made it look like a, like a kid's car, didn't it? <laughs> I have I have officially been monster trucking. I'm, I was very fortunate in that I'm the first person to have driven this car. The Ram 2500 is the boring name. The Power Wagon is the See, that's a better oh, come name. on, Americans. Talk, about, talk about names to bring back. That's a good one. And you'll never forget you're in it because it's written everywhere. So it's on the tailgate, it's on the sides, it's on every part of the trim as well. So this basically is the big boy, right? So... It is a imagine a fifteen hundred Ram, but much bigger. I actually <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I actually pulled. I, I actually pulled up behind a Ford F one fifty, and I could see over the roof of a standard Ford F one fifty from the from the driver's seat. So it's a, it's slightly lifted, and it's just massive. It's got a six point four uh, six point four bed on the back. So do you climb in it through the door or do you walk up in between the chassis rails? <laughs> well, luck, funnily, funnily enough, luckily it comes with side steps for standard because right, yeah. you need them and you literally have to use the handles to hoist yourself up into it. So it's, it's very daunting when you first get in it to drive it. Um, I mean, I've driven pretty much everything. And, yeah. and even with this, I was like, well, this is a big, big car. But you do get used to it quite quickly. Okay. So uh, once you've got everything set up, once you've got your mirrors in the right place and it's got those uh, double mirrors on it, which I don't like. Yeah, are they um, extendable as well for trailers? Yes. So yeah, um, yeah you can add the, the you can basically go wide with them. So it's built to tow stuff, right? So yeah, um, it'll. Re- I mean, it tows um, some ridiculous amount of um, uh, you know you could, like, several houses. You, yeah, it's like yeah. six point four tons it can tow. 
Goodness. which is, is crazy. Um, but you get everything. It's got power outlets everywhere. It's got the Ram box, a tonneau cover. Um, it's, it's got 17-inch wheels, so it's going to be really good in the desert. I didn't get a chance to drive it off-road, unfortunately. Um, it's got everything. Um, it's got adaptive headlights, 360 camera. I mean, it, ev- you name it, it's got it. So, so great it, for towing like massive things in the States, I can imagine, be used for towing you know, race cars and dragsters yep. and... Horse, you know, here horses, horse floats, and yeah, things like exactly, that. Be, be yeah. a doddle. If you were if you were working in the oil industry out in Lewa, yeah, you, this is the ideal car for you. Uh, but it also, it's a very very cool cruisy car because it is terrifying to everybody else on the road. <laughs> so when you put you come up behind people and they just literally move out of the way. So um, it's and, and it's really well spec. It's got Harman Kardon speakers yeah. inside, seventeen speakers, power outlets everywhere. Um, Comes with a 6.4 Hemi V8. Okay. Uh, Economical. Okay. Yeah. 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 Green. One it's uh, 410 horsepower. Uh, it's, I mean, what, 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 what more do you want? I mean, w- the only things I didn't like was the digital rear mirror, which I hate on all cars. I'd say, um, so yeah, I, I turned them off. Them. Yeah, exactly. I switched it yeah. straight off. And it takes a while to get the mirrors in the right spot to yeah. kind of realize where the car is. And also the other thing I didn't like was car parks. Because it, yeah. it's but the concept huge. or just <laughs> yeah the concept of car parks and going in them but uh, no it was amazing it's a bit floaty on the road because it's slightly lifted but then that's the same of any slightly lifted car I would yeah. say yeah. Um, but you do get used to it it's huge the the key thing is there's actually very few of these they're only bringing in a handful of them okay. so if you want one you're going to need to go and, yeah. and get it quick they start from three hundred and twenty thousand dirhams okay. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, for what you get. Oh, it also comes with a built-in winch. Oh, really? standard. And which is the ultimate bragging thing in the desert. Come on. I mean, everyone wants a winch. <laughs> well, what do you attach it to? Well, another power wagon, I would okay. guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Can so, I add a quick follow-up? Because I draw the power wagon a bit. Um, mm-hmm. The concept of the power wagon is that it's basically a wrangler of trucks. Yes. So it's got front and rear locking diffs. It has solid front axles, which makes the ride kind of what I would describe. Mm. And it's basically designed to flex. It's used for workmen in really tough, and exactly what you said, linemen out in the desert or whatever. It can take a team everywhere. Well, listen to the Harman Kardon stereo. It is not necessarily a desert car, but it's a working car. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. They yeah. Do, like, there is two options of it. I think they're only bringing us from, I'm, I'm not sure, yep. but uh, the one I had is the the power wagon, which is basically exactly that car that you mentioned, but with all the trimmings. Yeah. So it's super comfy. Like a well, limo. there you go. Um, and you can also, quick random fact, you can, mm. I know everything on the power wagon, you can hang the truck by the winch. So if you could somehow suspend the truck from the winch, it, the winch is strong enough to hold the car. Let's do that after oh, the show. Why not? Yeah, no. Um, so, <laughs> but I love the fact we drive different, totally different types of vehicles. In the Shan, you've been in a car that's nothing like the Power Wagon at nothing all. Nothing at all. The Maserati Gricali. The Maserati <laughs> Gricali. Uh, <laughs> I, I delivered it in the back of the Power Wagon, yeah. <laughs> Crazy that they, they were the same parent company. But uh. <laughs> So you drove the Gricali before. You had an yes. interesting take on it. I'll add my take on it. Um, I think it's a nice looking thing. I think compared to the Macan, etc., I think it is distinctive. I think it's very stylish and very Italian. It has a nicer interior, in my humble opinion, than most of the Germans. It's a little more warm. It's more mm. inviting. Very mm. comfortable. Surprisingly for uh, Italian car, amazing AC. I thought the AC was great in this weather. Stereo, also excellent. And these are things that matter to people who buy Gracales because they'll be going from Spinney's car park to, you know, cinema. It's not exactly going to be a hardcore off-road car, but it's a great car that has that Maserati feeling in a more compact, manageable and value-conscious package. Handling was actually pretty good, I thought, for a little car. Um, these cars need to be nimble, right? Need to get in and out of places. So, mm. yeah. Gracali, exactly what people want. who are just going from place to place. They want a nice fancy Maserati badge. Things I didn't like. The engine. Uh, not 
the quickest engine I've ever felt. It's a little bit wheezy, it felt, considering that the car is not that heavy. But I just know I felt the performance could have been a bit better. Um, there's all these weird chiclet buttons on yep. the dash, which I'm not crazy about because you just can't tell the difference between them. And you know what? Don't reinvent the wheel. It feels a little, I think my summation would be, it's a little 1.0. Like the Macan is now in its second generation, super polished. The Recal felt like it's generation one. Doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it. I think mm. it's a very stylish alternative. If you're sick of seeing Macan, etc. But there is a little bit of like, where this is our first attempt. However, for some people, I think it will absolutely nail the mark. There you go. I, I agree with you though. As well. the, yeah. the, the, the interior is a nice. It's a, it's a nice distraction from the German type interiors. It's, yeah, because they're all getting a bit identical, right? Yeah. And if you look at the Taycan, everybody's just using the same interior, and it's nice. But a little variety wouldn't hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I did enjoy it um, when I drove that as well. So uh, yeah, interesting one. Um, very quickly, yeah. So so the car I drove was the the Polestar. The Polestar 2. Oh, and okay. uh, interesting, I had the, the long-range dual motor, 300 kilowatts, 482-kilometer range from a 78-kilowatt-hour battery, which is about 408 horsepower, 0-104.7, emergency stop assist, nice ventilated Napa leather seats, but there's also a vegan option as well, which is obviously non-leather um, in those. Um, other models include the there's the base model, which is 170 kilowatts with the 231 horsepower engine. And then there's a long range of that model, which gives you 542 kilometer range uh, and more interior features. So prices climbing from around about 165,000 dirhams to just over 200 or about 220,000 dirhams for the model that I tested. Now, the thing is, is that it looks like a Volvo. It feels like a Volvo. It drives like a Volvo because it's a Volvo by another name. Let's just say it, it is. Um, back in 2021, I drove the Volvo C30 EV in Sweden. And it's incredibly similar, including the fact that it has a, a no-start button. There's, there's no start button in the car. So effectively, it's always on. What you do is you walk up to the car, and same with the Volvo, with a proximity switch in the key in your pocket, um, it, uh, it, all you do is you climb in the car, select D, and you drive away. That's it. When you when you stop the car, you put it into park, you close the door, and walk away. So what, what it's doing is it's using the combination of the fact that, for instance, when you're parking it, the, the, the transmission's moved to park. The driver's seatbelt has, has been is off. The seatbelt, uh, the, the the seat actually gets light because there's no driver sitting in it. Um, and then the driver's seat um, uh, tell it, it tells the the, the the car that the driver's left the car and the door shuts. So it so then it automatically shuts the car down because it figures there's no one in the car now and it's moved. It does the reverse when you go the other way. When you walk up to it, it unlocks. It feels suddenly there's a person sitting. In the seat, uh, the, 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 the seatbelt clicks in and you can put it in drive and roll away. So there's no button to push to start the car. There's no key. Obviously, well, the key's in your pocket. What, it's what's, just, what's wrong with a start button? Why can't you just have an on-off button? It's a kind of, it's just, I don't know, it just makes it more it's like... like having a TV that's yeah, always on. It's like having a phone, guys. It's like having so, a phone. That's yeah. <laughs> you don't um, turn your... Remember in the old days when we had those Nokias, you had to turn... People turn their phones on in the yeah. morning? Nobody yep. does that anymore. No, so it's it's just always on. When you get into it, the lights light up, the lights switch off. It just It's just simply just get into it. If you just want to move around... Now, what it does, it has... Google Apps include, uh, included on uh, on the 11-inch 11, 11 display, which I just I do not get my head around the Google Map thing. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, again, with the car that you I had... I don't understand in, Google Maps. No, because, well, I'll tell you. Um, so the, the one that we had in Sweden, the Volvo that we had, the C30, which used the same system, 
it got us incredibly lost on the way back to the airport. Nearly missed the flight. It was just it, it just it thought the car was in another location. Didn't work. And then I've just been driving the uh, the Jatour um, car, which we'll review in a future show, and it couldn't connect to the internet. It was it was just saying not. So it didn't it didn't happen there. So I'm not a fan of it. Just I like the hardwired stuff that's in there and do its own thing. Um, but I did like this car, this, this the, the Polestar. I love the, the the understated look about it. I love its elegant styling. Again, it's, there's that Volvo sort of feel about it. The quality interior is beautiful. It goes back to what we're saying about the Maserati. The interior doesn't feel German. It's light and airy. Um, I felt Scandilux, that, I think, is the word they used to describe yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. Scandinavian um, luxury. Oh, I felt like that it was, it was an EV yeah. that, that I could probably you know deal with because it's not shouting that it's an ev in fact there are no badges on the car anywhere there's no ba- there's the there's the polestar logo but that's it um it's kind of like i don't know ev marketers and not owners the marketers are like crossfit and vegan guys how do you know just they'll, like us they'll tell you <laughs> so you don't need to be told i was trying to avoid the whole vegan thing yeah and you went in there i've been sitting there no, trying not to say but anything, they, but they, yeah. they tell you that the, it's an ev this one doesn't tell you it's an ev at all and that's what i really liked about it. but anyway hmm. that's that's the polestar 2 um it's from 165 to about 220,000 dirhams and that's um, good Bottom line, I, I did enjoy it's better it. Better than so. the Crown. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm switching. Well, no, no, I would say absolutely because I haven't driven it. So that's that's an unfair one in the channel. I'm not going to go there yet. But until I drive it, then we'll, we'll, we'll make our decisions then. But anyway, we've got a whole lot more. We're, and in fact, what you're taking before in the channel about Maserati, we're going to have a whole lot more about Maserati coming up straight after this because I've been catching up with David Grazzo, the CEO of the Italian luxury car maker, to talk about the future and a bit of motorsport that they're getting involved in that they just announced last night as well. This is Damien Reid. You're listening to... This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Yes, welcome back to Motormania. This is Damien Reid, and I'm joined by Indus Sanjato and Noel Ebden in the studio. Now, we're talking about Maserati before. We're going to continue that uh, because Maserati, it's the second car maker that we're featuring in our Italian luxury car series from the beautiful Emilia-Romagna region that's home to uh, to what's known as Motor Valley, home to every supercar and superbike manufacturer in the country. So last month we, f- we featured uh, Lamborghini when I visited their museum there in northern Italy. Uh, now it's Maserati's turn. And as you know, Maserati is going to phase out, sadly, the iconic V8 with the last V8 models being released in two weeks' time coming up at the Goodwood Festival of Speed and they'll be called the Ghibli 334 Ultima and the Levant V8 Ultima. Now, the Trofeo versions of the Levant, Ghibli and the Quattroporte are the only cars in Maserati's current lineup with V8 options as Maserati shifts to its, uh, I have to say, really, really nice Nintuno V6, the twin turbo. That is actually turning out to be a real cracker of an engine. It doesn't matter what it's in, whether it's in the in the, the, the Levant, the Grecali, or the MC20. Just a, it's a nice power unit. Um, but it's also a key part of their electrification plans, wherein every model will have an internal combustion and hybrid variant by 2025, and the lineup will be fully electrified by 2030. So one man I spoke to was Maserati CEO, David Garazzo, and here's what he had to say. We sold the introduction of the V8 in the 50s with the GT5000. We sold more than 100,000 cars uh, with that V8 engine. We're celebrating that, the retirement of uh, this incredible engine at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, for selected few, there will be uh, an opportunity to, you know, we're going to sell throughout the next year. The Ultima brings the last version of that. We like to think, I'm paraphrasing, a very successful and incredible success story the last dance it is our last dance 
Yeah, so David Grasso talking about the uh, the future there. Now, one word that he's you're going to hear him using in uh, coming up is the, the word electrified and not electric. Um, it's a small semantic, but it's now creeping into the company car vernacular, car company vernacular, as a rapid development of carbon neutral e-fuels and uh, the EU's now acceptance of e-fuels in a post-2030 world means that many companies, including Maserati, are starting to change their tune about from once being called an all-electric car company, they're now becoming an electrified car company, which means hybrids and that mm. sort of thing. So some electric, but yeah. all cars will be electrified. Uh, they'll have a hybrid option in there. So um, why am I so confident about this? Well, Motormania is going to be running a special in the coming weeks featuring interviews with several of the world's top CEOs and Formula 1 chiefs about their plans to rethink their 100% EV strategies, and it is happening, believe me. So I asked David Grasso, but based on that, the European Union now recognises sustainable fuel. Is there a situation where Maserati would continue producing combustion engines beyond 2023? Theoretically, yes. Practically, uh, we're going to isolate that, that angle for our GT efforts. You know, we're back to racing with yeah. GT, we're going to announce it soon. So that will, it's a very specific need that we're going to focus on with our state-of-the-art V6 electrical engine. As it relates to the, you know, alternative fuels that the EU has actually, you know, um, synthetic fuels, for example, have been, have been approved. It's not going to change for us at Maserati, at least, the trajectory over the next few years. At least in 2030, that's not practically changing our trajectory because the cost and times timelines develop an effective and efficient way to go about it. It's a study and it's a, a project that is part of the Stellantis group. Clearly, it's on the agenda for the Stellantis group. But that's where we can take advantage and leverage the type of investments and know-how that that requires, including the time. For us, it's like it's something that absolutely it's on the horizon and we're busy working on it part of the larger group that also has the trade of investing significantly in innovation, not only on power trends and fuels, but on technical solutions, on platforms, and on software development. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting because um, the EU previously said 2030, it's all electric, then they pushed it to 2035, it's all electric. Now, I've got it from good authority, and will be, as I said, will be coming up in the show in future weeks, where the EU are having a meeting in 2026 to ratify and accept EU fuels to run in cars as long as they run only the, sorry, uh, the the e-fuel, as long as they run only the e-fuel and they must run it entirely and it'll be available at the Bowser and that will be a permanent solution. So the combustion has got a lot lot of life in it Mm. yet and that's changed things around. Now, one of the questions I asked him is did, as he mentioned just before, did it influence... Maserati's decision to go back into GT racing because they're obviously running Formula E and uh, and they've just announced, in fact, they pulled the covers off the car yesterday to get back into GT racing. No, no, we made that decision before. We yeah. made, you know, we made the strategic conscious decision to go back to racing because without racing, it's not really a complete Maserati. We're here in the showroom. You have, you know, a lot of models that it tells you this story of from the track, because it was born on the track, then went to the roads in the 50s. And without going back to the track, it wouldn't have been a rebirth. Yeah, so that was Maserati CEO David Grazzo in Modena, Italy. Very uh, um, privileged and, and, and uh, lucky to get some time with him for Motomania. Um, now, ma- based on that, Maserati unveiled just yesterday the car that he was, he was talking to me about, uh, the Maserati GT2, and it was launched at the Spa 24-hour race, which is happening this weekend. 
they're bringing the brand back to GT competition. It follows on from, if you remember, the MC12 that raced here. The, in, in Could you forget the MC12? Amazing, wasn't it? Stunning car. Raced here in 2006 in mm. the GT1 World Championship at the Dubai Autodrome. In that beautiful colour as well. Um, yeah. Dominated from, what, 20, 2005 to 2010. Um, mm. But, yeah, so this this car has a big reputation to live up to. But that engine, 621 horsepower from the, uh, from the Natuno V6 in that. Now, the thing is, is... Maserati is not going to enter factory efforts. It's going to be aimed at private teams and gentlemen drivers, and it's going to debut in the track in the final rounds of the European GT Series and then take part in the entire season for next year. Now, in its current form, this twin-turbocharged engine, 3.8-litre V8, produces 580 horsepower, um, and it gets the Levant SUV to 100 kilometres an hour in 3.7 seconds. Now, I'm hearing that the Ultima versions will be tweaked accordingly. The MC20 GT2 that is uh, so it's just been released yesterday um, will be uh, even quicker than that. So Andrea Bertolini, who's raced here as well, uh, has been very busy doing shakedown tests of that car in recent weeks. So, yeah, what was... An announcement from Maserati, say, about three, four years ago, saying we're going to be electrified and the Fulgari brand is going to be their electric brand. Um, that's still going to be the case. So the Fulgari cars, which are the, the electrified brands, are still coming out. Mm. But the door is open now to keep combustion engines for a very select number of cars. Car, car companies can't they're, – they're like oil tankers. They take a long time to shift direction. And yeah. they've all shifted in this electric, electric direction. Yeah. Now they're trying to – change course slightly because the world's changed as it does and so they're slightly backpedaling but they can't move that quickly so yeah it's a sounds good yeah absolutely um and in theme in continuing the theme with maserati they've released the uh the fury series essentials a collection of cars that are designed by of all people david beckham that well-known car yes. design <laughs> <laughs> yes he's designed some amazing cars um influenced by classic maserati models beckham's design include two distinct configurations the first which is a stunning car based on the 1967 maserati ghibli coupe uh has a night interaction blue exterior and a tan leather interior not sure what that means, but we'll, I'll, I'll dig into it a little deeper. The second um, is uh, honouring the 1986 Quattroporti Royale and has a Verde Royale dark green exterior and warm brown leather interior. Um, each car features a commemorative plaque marking the collaboration. So, yeah, um, it's uh, a collaboration between him, between Maserati and David Beckham uh, on these cars. What are your thoughts on on the, on the on just the concept of like? Sportsmen or guys, you know, putting their names on cars. I'm surprised it's not um, actually his wife doing it because that would make more sense being in that she's in the fashion industry anyway. But she already designed the car, didn't she? The yeah. Land Rover, Range yeah. Rover, the, Evoke. The Evoke. But would that, yes, would that make, but I use the word design incredibly loosely. Yeah, I stood next to, yeah. yeah. Would that make you buy a car if it had your idol's whether it be an actor or a, or a film star or It depends star if you're or, the or audience, right? And I think in the case of Mrs. Beckham's uh, Evoke, it was because she was, it was an influencing job. She was essentially hmm. there to create a brand partnership, and it worked. The Evoke sold very well. I liked the first-gen Evoke. I thought it was a great car, yeah. or with do, or without her design skills, but bless, I'm sure she did a lot. Or do you see through it and realise that this is a way to, to, to move well, stock before the new model from, comes out? Um, <laughs> Steve McQueen... You know, being used to sell watches or what have you, or or bullet Mustangs. How yeah. different is it? What difference does well, it? Well, funnily enough, I was uh, I was involved with um, Breitling when they were had when they had David Beckham as a brand ambassador. Yeah, and they said that the ads that they put up did affect sales. It, sales went up with David oh, really? Beckham yeah. wearing a Breitling watch. Yeah, so there you go. It does work. I think it absolutely does work. 
Absolutely. It doesn't work for the three of us. No, they exactly. put our picture yeah. on a billboard in Sheikh Zayed Road. Car sales would drop precipitously. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the traffic would drop precipitously. <laughs> Come on, let's, we, we need to design a, a car that's next. We'll do our deck next week. Oh, oh, after, after we've hung a power wagon from a crane. Yes. It'll be a oh, that would sell. Yes. Suddenly we sold power wagons. <laughs> You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motomania with Damien Reid. Welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reid, and I'm joined by Indachan Jada and Noel Ebden in the studio. Now, we've been talking about EVs and sustainable fuels with uh, with Maserati, so let's go take it a little bit wider as we wrap up the show because there are no signs of EV sales slowing down, and uh, the, 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 the effect of that is it's starting to impact the resources that are being used to create the batteries. Car makers now are rushing to secure graphite for EVs amid a looming shortage. Um, there's about $12 billion investment is needed by 2030 in graphite and 97 new mines required by 2035 to meet the current demand, not the, not, uh, the, the projected future demand. Now, to give you an idea, I just uh, I, I rounded up a few, a few figures on this. Um, the, obviously, the bigger the car, the bigger the battery. And the bigger the battery, the more minerals it needs. So let's let's pick a few um, of the uh, of vehicles that we know. We start at the bottom end. The VW ID4, 82 kilowatt hour battery. It requires each one requires 118 kilograms of metal just for if, for the battery for this each car. Good, so this is good research. So 50 kilos of Actual lithium. information. Yeah. I can't believe it. So so an ID4 requires 50 kilograms of uh, lithium, 60 kilograms of nickel, and 8 kilograms of cobalt in every single ID4. An F-150 Lightning, uh, 131 kilowatt hour battery, requires 75 kilos of lithium, 95 kilos of nickel, and 12 kilos of cobalt. So there's 182 kilograms of rare metals in every F-1 Lightning. If we, if we really want to ramp it up, uh, at the, the the Tesla Cybertruck, 250 kilowatt hour battery in that, you're talking 343 kilograms of rare metals in every one of those. Now, the reason why we're not going to see electric uh, semi-trailers and prime movers on the road, and I guarantee we, we won't, is because of this equation. To Tesla's semi-trailer, they claim they require a 1,000 kilowatt hour battery. Now, that is 550 kilograms of lithium, 725 kilograms of nickel, and 90 kilograms of cobalt, 1,365 kilograms of rare metals. That is just under 1.4 tonnes of payload that they're not going to earn money on delivering their goods for every single truck. So getting these minerals can be pretty hard on the environment. Mining for these minerals can lead to deforestation, water pollution, and even harm to wildlife. So this is, this is why this is now coming in. Car makers such as Tesla and Mercedes are looking to lock in graphite supplies from uh, from outside dominant producer China as demand for EV batteries outpaces other users for minerals for the first time due to soaring EV sales. And, and let's not forget also, we're talking EV cars, but this, these batteries also power our computers and our phones and everything else. So everything. the demand yep. is still there for non-auto, but the auto guys are kind of just jumped on it and swamped it. So, um, Well, they're not called rare rare metals for you know, for no reason are they they are rare they're called common metals yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean you know now so say you know the better known battery uh, materials lithium and cobalt um is a, a, a now facing shortages so even though graphite is the largest uh, battery component mm-hmm. by weight the car makers now knocking on the doors of new producers such as uh, madagascar and mozambique uh, as this year's EVs are forecast to account for more than 50% of the natural graphite market for the first time. This is according to a consultancy project, Blue, uh, which is remarkable when you think about mm. the fact that, and we're not even, we've not even started that 
20, 30 phase where we're all supposed to be EV and we're still a very small percentage of yeah. cars right now are electric and we're already accounting for more than 50% of the natural graphite it, market. It's not It's not sustainable. It's n- no. there, there isn't enough of these to do what they want to do. It's a, it's a, you know, and it's the a, resources are located places which are problematic. Yeah. I'll also point out that VW actually slowed down their UK factory for ID4 and ID7 production and they quoted, and I'll quote him, strong cus- consumer or customer reliance to buy EVs. So yeah. actually, they're overproducing, but there's not enough demand. I think the early adopters have come in and bought all the cars, and that's great. But the mass pop market public wants a $30,000, 300-kilometer range car. And that just isn't there yet because these cars it's are so expensive. It's interesting you say that because uh, also we just found out this week the United States have uh, have surpassed Germany as the world's second largest EV market after China for the, in the first quarter of this year. Sales of EVs jumped more than 75% annually in North America. Uh, the growth January to March was driven by more customers switching to, uh, to to other options, as well as the government's tax credit. That's a key point as well. Um, Hong Kong-based researcher Counterpoint Research has uh, has pointed this one out. Battery EVs accounted for nearly 81% of all EV sales in the US, while plug-in hybrids made up the remaining 19%. So, uh, but the thing is, though, the report didn't dis- disclose the exact number of EVs sold during the period, but go to your point, counter your point uh, uh, in the chant, is that, yeah, the US has, has, has passed Germany now in terms of being the second biggest behind China. Because they will be one of the biggest car markets in the world. Can I quickly talk about the launch of an affordable EV in the country? Very quickly, but go ahead. The BYD Atto 3 launched last week. Uh, it is a Chinese-made S- mm. SUV EV. It's extremely popular in China. It's come out here. It's 149,000 dirhams. Range is about 400 kilometers thereabouts. It's a really nice thing. The interior has piano stylings. I can't believe it either, <laughs> but it does have musical <laughs> instrument notation. As It is a really strange thing. It has a... Um, but it's actually quite nice. It's personality. We want personality, right? And the center screen rotates between portrait and horizontal. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing enough. Good price. Yeah. Yeah. BYD making big inroads here um, into this market. So, uh, and there'll be more coming out. They are the biggest Chinese car manufacturer now. They've overtaken everyone else. Amazing. This is Motor Mania on Dubai I 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Fix it. Or flip it. So this is how it works. What we need is we need as much information as we can about your car, and uh, we will give you uh, all the motoring advice you need. So what we need, we need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, and we'll do our best to value your car. But it's not me that's doing it, of course. I don't know that kind of stuff as well as this man sitting right next to me, automotive entrepreneur Naz Chaudhry. Good morning, Naz. Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak. Good morning, Eid Mubarak to all the listeners out there. Yeah, how's your your your, your few? Did you get a few days off, or are you one of those guys who who carries on during? It, it's family, so you just have to carry on. I'll tell you what I didn't do. <laughs> I didn't approach any malls because seeing the queues in the car parks and stuff, I just had to do something different this time. Oh, isn't <laughs> it? Isn't it? The malls are like just just lightning. Yeah, they, they go they're off. like magnets because it's just so hot out there. Everybody just wants to go somewhere nice and cool, right? So. Uh, it's good to see Dubai still busy. I'm assuming it'll quiet down in the next few weeks, which will obviously have an impact on prices as well. So that's something we can discuss later on. Yeah, that is actually uh, an interesting, interesting seasonal, point. Yeah. It's very seasonal, and we're in that that low point. Um, and as we say, week after week after week, if you've got a convertible, guys, just keep it right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a chat a little <laughs> exactly. later on. Come back to us in say, <laughs> I don't know, September. Yeah. And we'll carry on then. But mm. uh, but the roads are very quiet right now. Um, are getting quieter. Yeah. I mean. I think in the next really, I think schools are out in about a week or so. Uh, A lot of people have already left, but I think in the week it's going to get even quieter and that's going to be the nice 
quite little, and that'll be the perfect opportunity for anybody to buy a car. By the way, in yeah. the next six to eight, well, in the next eight weeks or so, whether it's from a main dealer or from an individual, it, you know, it's so predictable. But it happens every single year, and everybody yeah. gets surprised. But it's just so predictable the pattern, right? So yeah. you know, Massive. July August buyers market, rest of the year. Seller's market, yeah. right? As simple as that. <laughs> Write it down, make a note of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, you and I, a couple of weeks ago, we went down to the launch of the Zenvo that's being brought in by the Elite yeah. Cars. I got a, got a good reaction from people after our show last uh, on the last show. Very good um, reaction, about yeah. that. And uh, yeah, it's an eight million dirham car that, that's that, that's available <laughs> now at the other end of the scale, but through the same people. I just recently drove the Jatul. Yes, uh, electric, uh, not electric. You just assume if it's a Chinese car, it's electric, but it's not. It's a it's a combustion engine car, and I'm going to uh, cover that in the in your future shows of uh, of Motormania. But um, yeah, again, that's also brought in by Elite. The, yeah, the Elite was, cars. It, was it the dashing that you drove? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. drove the same. Fantastic car. I was very surprised. I mean, you said electric. You see the big like iPad multimedia. You just assume, don't you? There's so yeah, yeah, all exactly. the modern gadgets inside, but uh, still, it was. Yeah, it was, it was very comfortable, very quiet. Yeah, surprising. Um, These ja- the Japanese cars are really getting up there. Like I said, we need Chinese. to start... D- d- ch- Chinese cars, sorry. <laughs> so used to saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Been saying it for 25 years, right? Um, so... It'll be good, interesting to start categorizing these um, because there just seem to be so many brands coming out. Like unbelievable, so many. isn't it? Yeah, 50. yeah. I last count I had, I think it was about thirteen, fourteen, and I think that's only rising now. Jetour have obviously done a great job. They they launched, uh, I think it was the X seventy or J seventy series mm. uh, that did fairly well. The dashing came in at an amazing price point. I think it's a, it's classed as a compact SUV essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is a very hot segment. And could, it has been and for the past few years. Too. I really like the style. It's got the lines of an Urus at the front, or is that it just me? Yeah, the <laughs> lines, the way the, the, the way the headlights go, and things like that. Um, yeah, a few touches of Mercedes in the yeah. interior. The, the gear selector very on the column, smart, that sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, we, we, we'll cover that off in a few weeks' time. But, but interesting, you know, they've they've. The, the guys at the Elite Cars have got the top end, bottom end of the market <laughs> yeah, yeah. tied in from there. And everything else in the middle, if you head to their showroom, the, yeah. uh, I've seen some crazy stuff in there from like Koenigseggs and Bugattis and Ferraris and yeah, you name it, it's there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, the lines are already lighting up, so let's go straight to the lines. And uh, we've got on the phone right now, Bill, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Uh, now, Bill, you've got, a, uh, you've got a Tesla question, is that right? Yes, so I have a Model Y. Mm-hmm. 2022, I bought it last year. Uh, it is going pretty well. Just that I drive around a lot. So I have driven 50,000 kilometers. I was thinking now it is a good time to flip it or because I think now it will depreciate the fastest. Yeah, it's a really good point you've brought up there because we've discussed in previous shows how Tesla fluctuates their, their new car prices so readily, mm. which I guess NAS would have impact on their, on their resale or does that really wash out into averages because... It happens so frequently, but <laughs> it's crazy. Bill, uh, thank you for the call. Honestly, Tesla price in the past six months is like following a stock market. You need literally yeah, need yeah. to keep track <laughs> yes. on the graphs. We so. need the business breakfast to do to do our currencies <laughs> to do and do Tesla yeah. values today. <laughs> Um, so, Bill, just to put this in perspective, if it was full option at the time, you would have probably paid two seventy five for it, something like that. Is that correct? Yes. New car price. So, unfortunately, what happened shortly after that? Um, in the early part of 2023 is Tesla slashed the price to 240 and then they dropped it again to, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the low twos and then increased it back again slightly. So um, unfortunately, there will be negative impact because Tesla, as they're mass producing more cars, able to get that economy of scale out, 
in, in the factories, they're, they're actually reducing their prices in the competitive market. Um, so if you were to go into a dealership today, they're not 275 anymore. They're closer to like low twos, 220, something like that. Based on that, with the mileage, being it be, with it being 12 months old, um, I'd say around 170, 175, somewhere there. It's a shame because if Tesla did not decrease the prices, it would still be worth 210, 220. Mm. Yeah. Nice. How does that, that answer your question? And I think, uh, yes, it does. Thank you. No problem. And the, the second part to your question, uh, keep it or, or move on. Look, they're perfectly good cars. I've seen Teslas continue with 100, 150, 200,000 kilometers on the clock. You've taken the most of the depreciation now. If you're happy with the car, just continue on with it, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you for your advice. No, no problem, problem, Bill. Enjoy the uh, rest of the weekend. Thanks very much. Now, we're going now straight to uh, Hamid on the line. Good morning, Hamid. Hamid Mubarak, I hope you've enjoyed your, uh, your, your week, of, your, your, your few days off. Yeah, yeah, Ker Mubarak, uh, uh, great, great few days. Sweet Mubarak to you guys as well. Great show, by the way. Great thank show. you, thank you, Hamid. Thank yeah. you, thank you so much. Now, tell me, what have you, uh, what have you, what have you got uh, that you want to um, discuss this morning? So, a bit, a, a bit of a left field question for you guys. You know, um, as normal expats, you know, we we came out here uh, uh, thinking it would be maybe two, three years. We've been out here for what ten years now. <laughs> yeah. But back home. Um, Back home, I've got. I'm a little bit of a hoarder, so I, I hoard things. So back home, I've got a little collection. Now I'm in a dilemma whether I should just offload that, and I just wanted your views. So I've got a 1983 Mark One Golf GTI campaign, which is immaculate showroom condition. I've got a. I don't know if you know these, but um, the Toyota Corolla AE86 model. <laughs> One owner, uh, long story behind that, you know, I chased a lady around London, she was 80 years old, um, uh, got her number, chased her for about five years, and then she eventually sold it to me, um, which uh, needs a little bit of a resto, but still in good condition. I've got an Integra Type RDC2, uh, which I used as a track day car back in the UK at the time. Uh, again, I've owned that for, what, tw uh, nearly 16, 17 years. It's a last run-out model. Um, I've got a nice little uh, Honda NSX NE2 model, 2004, tucked away as well. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, what else have we got? We've got a VW Caravelle, which is a family bus we use when we go back every year. Uh, and an old uh, MGB GT, which is fully restored. So they're all tucked up in the barn back home. Mm. Um, and during COVID, we obviously didn't travel out for two years. So uh, uh, last year we went out and we're planning to go out next week. So I'm just thinking, you know, five kids, a few of them ready to go to university soon. What would you guys do? Because I'm a hoarder. I, I just would keep a hold of them. And uh, I'm thinking, should I just offload them and... Uh, I'd, I know they're worth quite a bit of money as well now. I'd be on a plane and drive the hell out of them. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, they, 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 you've got some nice cars there. And uh, yeah, a, a, a nice um, selection from the, the hot hatches, the NSX, be some beautiful stuff. Um, and you've got the good roads over there. I mean, Naz, I saw your eyes light up with, yeah, the, uh, with a few of those. I mean, I think we share the same problem. And uh, it, it's common among most petrol heads to just hoard and keep hold as many cars as possible. Um, and I'm a, I'm a victim of this. So once I know the answer, I'll let you know. But general, I, I don't practice what I preach, but I think the correct way of doing things 
is of course it seems like you're doing okay for yourself but in terms of like investment wise i'd hold on to one or two cars that have the most sentimental value or that you cherish the most or that you think would have the most capital appreciation um because what happens is when you've got five six cars it's difficult to maintain all of them it's difficult to keep them all up to scratch it's difficult to keep them all taxed and mot'd but when you have one or two trophy cars you can you can put your time effort energy into restoring maintaining and you don't feel so bad that you're burning through your pockets right and then when you do drive them you enjoy them more so now which five would you choose of course that's up to you i mean in terms of pricing I think you've done really well. You know, the Golf GTI, mm. the, the Golf Mark One Golf is up on your money. The A86 is a unique car, but there's a huge, you know, JDM market out there where people are, you know, really hot on these cars. The NSX, of course, after it made the comeback um, a couple of years ago with the redesign, the old NSX has got a lot of attention and, and, and they are really yeah. starting to pick up on value, especially if you have a manual. I mean, if I was you, I'd keep the NSX. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna. It's only. It's only got seven thousand miles on it. Wow! Wow! So, uh, so it's one. Uh, that that is the trophy car. That, is that that's the trophy car. So that maybe keep one or two more. Some of them, like they're not. I mean, I'm thinking about it from an investment point of view. Of course, some of them are probably peaked out, like you know the '86, the the Volkswagen uh, Camper. Mm. Um, you know, they're not going anywhere. You know, they're nice to have around, but if you don't need them, then just get rid of them and keep hold of the trophy ones. I mean, that would be yeah. my opinion. And especially now, sorry, this is a final point, which is relevant to 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 you, is prices for these kinds of cars are at an all time high in the UK. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that now because what's happened off the back of COVID and everyone like had lots of cash lying around for some crazy reason and there was so much pent-up demand. I've seen prices for, 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 for classics, for, for rare cars, absolutely go through the roof. So it's an all-time high. And coming into summer months now, like honestly, you've got eBay, you've got Auto Trader, you've got Piston Heads, you've got the private forums for the you know specialty cars. Um, you get top dollar for these cars now. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'll make a decision when I'm over there next week and uh, offload a few of them. Yeah. Take, take them so, for take them all for a good run and see which one lights a fire in your belly, and then uh, exactly. and the ones that don't, you know, you know to get rid of them. But keep the NSX, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a fight between the kids because they've all sort of uh, uh, you know get, given their view on what one they want to keep and uh, have for themselves. So let, let's see, let's see. But the NSX is a definite keeper, definite yeah, keeper. Amazing, brilliant. All right, Hamid, thank you so much. And um, yes, enjoy that dilemma you've got. Enjoy your trip. Thank you. (laughs) First world problems. (laughs) Fix it or flip it. We give you all the car advice you need to know. So, what we need from you guys is to simply tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. And we need the details from you the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, as the lines are starting to fill up. Naz, we've got uh, a text in message here uh, from uh, it's a Nissan Armada. 2014 Platinum Edition, pearl white in colour, clean history, no accidents, 137,000 kilometres. Should I expect uh, and uh, or should I wait and see if I can get a better price? Um, yes, marginally so. I think with this, it's more about how quick you can sell it rather than how much it depreciates. You know, the difference between now and September is two, 3,000, but it may just take a bit longer to sell now. Um, because there's fewer buyers, but this is a great school-run car, you know, yeah. entry-level school-run car. You know, you see them just parked outside the schools, kids running in, running out. So, you know, there's always demand for such a car, especially being clean with no accidents and uh, relatively low mileage for a Nissan. 
In terms of pricing, unfortunately, there are a lot of American spec Nissan Armadas that flooded the market yeah, because someone, yeah. some dealers just took advantage of this arbitrage, you know, the, the price difference between US and, and UAE. Um, so you see them advertised as low as 30, 35,000. Um, you know, if you were to sell this car being a GCC spec car, being a platinum spec car, mm. it is on the higher side, maybe mid 50s, late 50s, but, you know, you'd want to put a nice advert on there. Uh, feature it, make sure you write GCC on the title, make sure it stands out because there'll be a lot of US cars that'll be dragging the Armada market down in general. Yeah, and you get a lot of metal for your money with with your motor. It's a big car, so it's, it a, it's a really nine is, seater. Yeah. Is it nine seater? I think it's the three. It's three rows. Yeah, three yeah, rows. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge car. And like I said, family barbecues. It's it's the perfect big family car. You know, entry level. You see a lot of drivers driving them as well. You see a lot. Mm. You know, just. School runs, shopping mall runs, anyone with three, four, five kids that just needs a, a nice little solid car. Because it's that a car that is a great car. It's a car that wasn't exported to a lot of countries. It, it from from Nissan. It was built. It was built for the United States. It's built in the US, and we were one of the few export markets that got it. So it's not available in, yeah. in Europe. It's not available in Japan. It's like, too big. I but never it suits these it. roads around yeah. here. We did um, when I was running Autocar Magazine many, many years ago. We ran the car of the year, and I got some of the journalists from Autocar UK to join us for the judging panel. And they were like, what's this? <laughs> and they literally wrote that when they're back in the UK in their magazine saying, um, the Nissan Amada, yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. This thing's monstrous. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Is it um, is it in line with the Toyota Sequoia? Because I think there's a similar yes. story there where yes. it's a US a market car only. Yeah. Oh, but V8, this is probably a V6. This, this would be the six, I think. Yeah. Um, similar story, are. US market, good for this market, but nowhere else in the world. So certainly coming from the UK. Yeah. Uh, I never heard of Armadas or Sequoias and, until you get here, right? Until we come here, yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, all made in Tennessee, I think. Mm. Uh, at the other end of the scale, Amelia has texted in um, with a 2019 Mini Cooper S. <laughs> it's the complete other end of the scale. Yeah. <laughs> 37,000 kilometres and it's red. That makes it go faster, Amelia. Um, uh, 2019 Mini Cooper S, lovely little car. This is the, uh, the the more recent generation in terms of the body style. Yep. Um, great little car. Unfortunately, I don't have any other information as to what, uh, what whether it's a manual or automatic. Or I, I'm assuming it's automatic because not many manuals came in with the later bodies. There's not many. Yeah, it's yeah. quite rare. Um, it says Mini Cooper S. Yeah. Was there mention of JWC or not? No, no, no Cooper, don't, don't think it would be a JCW. Yeah, yeah, don't think it would be a JCW. Um, I'd say around, you know, it's really strange with red cars. You know, I've, I've had people walk into sh- showrooms and dealerships and say, I'd buy anything but red. You know, it's either like a, a love or hate relationship. And I've seen cars, uh, pe- seen people struggle cars just because they're red. But I've also seen buyers that particularly don't care and they're happy to buy a red car. Mm. Um, I'm not talking about Ferrari, of course. I think yeah. that, that has a unique <laughs> opinion for red. I'm talking about other cars in general. You know, having said that, this car's probably worth around 75, 80,000 dirhams. Uh, but it's one of those cars that'll probably be a bit slower for the next month or two. Mm. Uh, but winter, as winter kicks in, September, October, November, this should fly off the shelves, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, got a, uh, a a message. Got a got a message here that is a uh, from Mark. It's a 2018 S, uh, Cadillac Escalade. Um, no accidents. Black on brown. Tr- premium trim. 120 thousand kilometers with a full service history. Uh, has some long-term issues. Okay, we'd love to get you on the phone and have a chat about that. If I am to sell it, how much would it fetch? Um, right, so there's a huge question mark there, Mark, when you say long, long-term long issues. So anyway, but but basically, Naz, 2018 Cadillac Escalade, 
Uh, in fact, we're trying to try and get Mark on the phone on that one, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll discuss that in, in a moment. But uh, again, it, it falls into the Nissan Armada territory of what we were talking about before. It's a, it's yeah. a big full size vehicle. Although a lot more luxury. Oh, of course, yeah. And yeah. a lot more reliable. I mean, these things were built for long distance, like interstate cruising, right? You know, we yeah. have a family in the back. Someone's watching TV, popcorn on the back row. Someone's having an intellectual conversation on the middle row. The, the, the driver's at the front listening to music on the front row. I mean, the way these yeah. things have been designed is just driving from state to state. And, you know, they've got these big Cadillac, lazy, low-revving V8 engines that go forever. So it'll be really interesting to see... Um, what issues we've had with this car or yeah. what are the current issues but let's just ignore the fact that there's issues for now because i'm surprised for a relatively new car with full mm. service history i'm sure mark's giving uh is it altair hard time to <laughs> this guy yeah Can, no, not no, altair, who's, uh, yeah uh, whoever it is yeah. i mean i'm sure it's under warranty with full service history whatever the main dealer is just keep pestering them and yeah. they'll fix it for you in my opinion um, having said that, you said premium. I think the, 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 the best model out there is the Platinum. So everyone looks for the Platinum. And I think there's also a longer wheelbase version. So the Platinum is also a bit longer, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, assuming premium is, is, is the mid-range, because I don't think they called it the premium. Um, around 170, 180,000 dirhams, somewhere there. Yeah. And if we can get you on the phone, I'd love to know more about this problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, drove the, uh, I drove the V-Series um, over in the States. And... <laughs> You want fun? It sounds amazing. It's it's it's, it's the, the, really? the, the the performance version. If you if you can call a Cadillac Escalade of, a performance of, of this? version, what, yeah, supercharger or something. And no. it's the uh, it's the um, it's the it's the hottest version of the of the thing. And it just the exhaust system is amazing. I think they're they're here now, but uh, in very small numbers. Wow, wow, um, very. It's a very competitive market. You know, you see, I think. Range Rover came out with the yeah. SVR and KN have the Turbo S. Everybody wants like a super fast 4x4, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another text message in from uh, Isra Hussain. Uh, hi, I have a 2012 Land Rover LR4, 230,000 miles. Mm. Um, it, the gears are playing up. Was told by the garage that the dude that uh, that deals exclusively in Land Rovers. This is in uh, Charger, so it doesn't sound like it's Altair. That if the um, that if the the change of gear oils, there are no guarantees that it will fix the problem. Okay, um, yes, there's a lot of issues going again. Another one, a lot of issues going on with the, the, the with the. Yes, he's been quite vague about the gear thing. We need some more information than so the it, thing, it, unfortunately. Um, see, yeah. Should I wait until it dies? Basically, he's asking, should I wait until it dies and then change the, the, the transmission? Uh, don't think it is worth so much, or should I just drive it until it stops working? Yeah, look, 2012 model, <laughs> you're not going to get a whole lot, are you? Um, yeah. With 230,000, he's saying miles, so uh, let, let's say it's kilometres unless it's a, somehow brought in from the States. Mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a high mileage car. 2012 go through major mechanical repairs now yeah i mean one of the this is an amazing car by the way i mean mm. you know it's a seven seater it's relatively solid um very very popular in europe um issue here is the maintenance costs are, are, are quite high if it's yeah. the v8 which it probably is and um, it's got the air suspension that fails every couple of years um, you've got uh, you know issues with air conditioning as well that fails. The engine generally is generally is relatively solid. You just have to keep an eye on um, the coolant, like to keep the engine alive. So you know you've yeah. got you know the radiators have issues, the coolant pipes start bursting at this kind of kilometers. So you know you always need to make sure that you've got a little pot on the side to to, to cover the maintenance. Now going back to his question, it sounds to me like there's an initial gearbox jerk. 
mm. and uh, garages being garages and me owning a garage previously, mm. you have to tell the customer like all the possibilities, like a doctor really. You have yeah. to give them the bad news and not so bad news and you have to err on the side of caution and things like that. Um, but having said that, a car of this level of kilometer should have had a, an oil service on the gearbox at least twice, if not three times. So although the garage is saying, do a service, but I can't guarantee anything. Yeah. That is a very important first step of preventive maintenance. And that could solve all your gearbox problems, or if not, extend the life of the gearbox by another year or two, yeah, yeah, exactly. or three. So like, definitely do it, even though he's not giving you any guarantees. It sounds like he's being honest, to be fair. Yeah. Um, get the gearbox all done, fingers crossed, and uh, inshallah, it'll be fine. If not, then, like you said, you have the option of, you know, drive, doing anything more than that's probably not worth it at this stage. Mm. So just drive it until it dies. But I, I'm really confident that if you do change the gearbox oil, uh, the car's going to be a lot better. There you go, Israel. I hope that uh, gives you gives you some advice Fix on it. that one. Or flip it. Here on Motormania this morning. And uh, that means that we're going to tell you about your car and hopefully give you a really good valuation, whether to fix it or flip it, buy, sell it or restore it, maintain it. How does it work? It's easy. Just tell us as much as you can about your car and we'll give you as an accurate a, a detail as we can about it. And Naz Chowdhury and myself in the studio will do our very best to answer that question. And with that, we're going straight to the lines and we've got Anil on the phone. Good morning, Anil. Hi, good morning, Damien. Good morning, Naz. How are you doing? Very, very well. Things. Oh, I'll fade Naz up. There we morning. go. Yeah. <laughs> I've been silenced. <laughs> Silence. uh, he's tapping away. He's trying with valuations galore. Um, we've got so many text messages coming through. And Neil, now you've got a uh, you've got a, a VW Golf GTI. Um, tell me more about it. Yes, I've had it since 2014. It's Mark Seven Blue. Mileage wise, it's about 214,000 kilometers. So obviously quite high, but it's uh, still in pretty good condition. Drives. You know, drives very well, no issues, full service history. My only question is, should I continue to hold on to it or, or sell it? Um, I have actually a history of owning VW cars. I mean, I've been out here since 2004, and I've had a few other VW cars in the past. And generally, they, you know, they've lasted quite long. The longest I've had a car is about nine years. And that was a Golf, Golf FSI. And the only issue that came up with that was the clutch then. And obviously, you know, those things cost quite a bit. So, yeah, it was, so I'm kind of thinking, well, will I encounter similar issues if I hold on to the GTI much longer? So. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, is it a manual or is it a DSG that you're, you're running? No, it's, it's automatic. Okay, so it's the DSG. So it's a double, it's a double clutch system, they, they call yeah. it the DSG, uh, which, yeah, can bring in some complications. Mm. Um, it, it, that, that's, a, that's a world-renowned thing with, uh, with, with that transmission after a few years. So you're not on your own with that one. Um, what do you think, Naz? So I'd say that, like, you like Volkswagens, you're happy with the GTIs, and I personally love them. I always recommend, you know, anybody who says, you know, I've got 50 grand, 100 grand, 120 grand, I need a little car to get me around. There is no better car than the GTI. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, ha like, hands down, it's, for me, like, the best value for money, like, hot hatch you can have. Um, you know, somebody wants to be a bit extravagant, they can go for the Golf R, but really, it's just a four-wheel drive system and a bit more power. Um, in my honest opinion, um, what I would say on this is, um, trade in for a market GTI. Um, you know, if you're on finance, the difference is going to be, like, maybe 1,000, 1,500 dirhams a month. You know, if it's a cash difference, probably 30, 40 grand. 
difference. But you're going to get so much more car. You know, when you jump in something newer and you've got Apple CarPlay and all the Android things connect mm. to your phone and you've got low kilometers, maybe a service contract and warranty. It just feels so much better. And the car looks so much newer as well. Um, my opinion would be with those kind of kilometers and with the thing, like you said, you know, it's 214,000 kilometers now, right? You, the way you, you drive <laughs> uh, four years. If you hold on to this for another year or so or two, they might yeah. go up to 240, 250. And then you're really going to lose most of the residual value. You know, now you can still get the best part of maybe 40,000 terms for it, you know, get a newer one for like 80,000, you know, find the difference. Uh, that's what I'd do if I was in a position to do so. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing too. I mean, you know, to kind of to, to go back to the DSG issue, you avoid that as well. If you keep if you keep updating the vehicle, yeah, exactly. Then for the for the first five or six years, they're fine. Um, so that that's that's a, another issue. But uh, uh, how, how does that sound, Anil? Yeah, sounds good actually. Yeah, that was my actually concern. You know, given the the history of uh, owning VW cars, yeah, after a while they they do tend to. Um, yeah, it's just that wear and turn on the clutch side is what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah you, just, you just balance that against, as, as Naz said, a thousand or fifteen hundred dirhams a month on 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 your your repayments against the cost of replacing a new transmission exactly, or a clutch yeah. or something later on. And at the end of the day, you've you've got a car that's consistently lower kilometres if you if you maintain a system of of uh, of cycling through them and and trading up. Mm. Okay. Yeah, great. Brilliant. Thanks very much. All and, the best. Uh, Thank you. All the best with that one. We go now straight to the line to uh, Muhammad. Good morning, Muhammad. Good morning. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks for holding on. Um, now, you've got a, uh, a Jeep Liberty Sport 2012. Tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, uh, it's great in colour. Um, you know, I'm the first owner. I got it brand new from from the agency here um, since 2000, early 2013. Um, done 150,000 kilometres. Just done a service now. It's quite decent in the um, um, on the desert. You know, I don't take it to the desert uh, that often, but when it goes there, it's just like uh, it, it does the job. Um, and I'm thinking either to keep it. Um, I, of course, all the um, all the uh, mechanics and all the services are done uh, with the agent. But if there is a major repair or replacement of a part, I take it out to a good uh, garage. I order the. Um, the spare parts from from abroad from the states from Moper normally they are original parts um, and uh, the only issue I'm having with this car as well is that I believe now recently I feel like the gas consumption is more than it usually was um, it's really um, you know it's burning a lot of fuel to be honest so I'm not sure what to do should I just sell it what how much would it get me or should I just keep it yeah, um, I mean, as, as engines get older, they they start to lose compression, they start to to, to chew through a bit more oil, mm. uh, they lose horsepower, and therefore you start the consumption does slowly start to increase over time. Um, but that's just that's just the way they are. Naz, what what do you think of this one? Yeah, look, it sounds to me like you you really like your car. It sounds to me like you really enjoy it, and. Um, I wouldn't sell it just because the consumption's dropped. I mean, mm, yeah. you know, these things have depreciated quite a lot. You're not going to get much for it if you sell it, you know, 30,000, something like that, 25, 35,000. Uh, but like you said, you've looked after it well, you've maintained it well. Uh, it sounds like you've, you've got a good head on your shoulders to be able to notice things like, you know, fuel consumption. Uh, my advice would be um, 
and I don't know when the last time you did done this, but just I mean, there's there's a few things that would solve the fuel consumption problem. The first one is um, just doing a major service. Sometimes getting the correct spark plugs, uh, getting a fresh fuel filter. Mm. Uh, makes all the difference. I mean, people don't like when a car's clogged air filters up, every air year. filters, yep. it, they just take a lot more. Second thing is it's seasonality as well, right? As you're driving into a hot season, a car needs cold air for, for a fresh combustion. So when the weather gets warmer, consumption drops. And thirdly, no doubt you've got your AC on full, full. And that also decreases consumption and decreases power, by the way, because it's coming mm. straight off the crank, right? So um, this is expected. Um, so my advice would be, you know, don't worry too much about the fuel consumption because it doesn't sound like you drive so much. But by September, October, weather cools down, fresh service, um, you should get your consumption back. I mean, if it, if it doesn't work on spark plugs, then you look at the ignition system, you know, coils, HT leads, packs, these are the things that provide the spark to the combustion chamber. And it, it's quite simple, really. You know, we say this all the time, but... You need fuel, fresh fuel, and between the fuel tank and the engine, you've got a fuel pump and a fuel filter. Yep. Um, you've got, you need air, and that's just cold air. You can't do anything about it, but a fresh air filter will do the job. And you need a spark. That's so it. Everybody says spark plugs, but there's also like... Um, the coil as well. Coil, the, coil pipes, ignition the, coils the, yeah. that power that. So, mm. you know, between these three things, you can get your efficiency back to where where it was six, 12 months ago before you noticed the problem, in my opinion. Yeah, even changing the leads as well. The, exactly, the, the, the leads tra- or the coil packs. Uh, they're fa- fairly simple fixes that you could do in, the, in your own garage if, uh, if you, you know, you've got a few tools and things yeah, lying exactly. around as well. So, um, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was also advised to maybe look in the injections, either to clean them or to, to change. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The injectors. Yeah, yeah. So I missed yeah. that. So on the fuel system, Definitely. you've got fuel tank, which is irrelevant because that just holds the fuel. Then it goes to the fuel pump, the fuel filter, and then the injectors. They spray the fuel into the engine. I don't want to overcomplicate it for everyone, but like in each cylinder, top of each cylinder, there's a small fuel injector, and that's controlled by the ECU. So it squirts the right amount every time the intake valve opens, essentially. Now, um, these things do get clogged up. You, you'll notice when you stop at a petrol station, you know, the guys are always like, do you want to inject it clean? Do you want to inject it clean? You've probably seen that before. Um, that actually works. I mean, sometimes they say just put a full tank of super, some injector mm. cleaner in there, go for a nice long run up in the mountains or just go for a nice long drive. And it really does clean out the injector. So that would be step one. Um, and if that doesn't solve the problem, then, you know, most of the injectors are done by Bosch. So, you know, you go to one of the independent specialists they take the injectors out. The correct workshop would have a bench and then flow test and pressure test them to make sure that the spray is correct, the pattern is correct and things like that. And uh, that's the, that's like the last line of defense. But between all of these things that I mentioned, I, I'm very certain you get your fuel consumption back on track. Thank you. Thank you very much. I feel much better now keeping it. So <laughs> Yeah, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I hope that, uh, hope that helps you, Mamad. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problems at all. Um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Trying not to get too technical. <laughs> Put people off. <laughs> yeah, now very quickly, we've got now, Karim. I know you're on the line. I'm going to get you to hold on. Uh, Karim has uh, a Nissan Kicks SV 2022, and we're going to get back to uh, to you straight. Fix it or flip it. So tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth, and we need the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Now, Karim, thank you so much for holding on. Uh, good morning, and uh, tell us about what you've got. Good morning. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly, yeah. 
Perfect, perfect. Um, so it's basically just to iron out a bit of confusion. I've got a Nissan Kicks uh, SV. It's a 2022 model, and I got it in November 21. So initially, I only got the car because I wasn't sure whether I was going to stay in the UAE or not, or go back to the UK. Or So I was very confused, and I didn't want to buy a car that was too expensive, and then it would kind of depreciate a lot. So I got this, and it's it actually does the job. It's, it's a perfect car. It's, it's a bolder grey. So that kind mm. of clay, clay mm-hmm. gray kind of color. Um, it has CarPlay, like every loads of options on it, um, and I do really, really like it. However, in the UK, I was used to German cars, so I had a Mercedes, BMW, um, and so on. And I'm just very confused because a lot of people are saying, "Stay away from German. Don't get German out here." But that's what I'm used to, and that's what I like. Um, so now I'm just kind of wondering: Do I sell the car whilst whilst I know or I've heard that it hasn't depreciated in value um, so much and then go for German or do I just keep it? I'm just, yeah, very confused. It's it's such a broad question to sort of say don't buy a German car. It's, uh, you know, yeah. there, there are there are some that yeah. you stay away from. You st- for instance, well, I don't know, this is my my opinion, but, you st- but the, the, the Chrysler era of Mercedes, mm. uh, so the early 2000s, um, that, but but there's others that are absolutely you know ones you would never you would never have any issues with you know E90 BMWs E92 coupes the 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 328s yeah. that's sort of thing no problem at all so you know it's a it's a very broad brush to sort of say stay away from German cars um, depends on what you what you're after Naz what do you think yeah so I, I completely understand where you're coming from on this screen because we, we all have the same thing. When I first came here, I wasn't sure how long you're going to stay. You don't want to invest too much into a car. But honestly, like driving, especially in Dubai, uh, it's part of the pleasure of owning a car here. You know, mm. you've got good fuel prices, you know, relatively inexpensive insurance. It's a good time to have some fun and enjoy while you can, right? So in my opinion, you should always get the best car you can when you're out here. Uh, Nissan Kicks is an absolutely great car ticks all the boxes it's desirable today it'll be desirable tomorrow um in, in terms of pricing just so you know 70 75 somewhere there is probably what you'd expect to get for it uh, in my opinion since you're used to the german cars um for not much more and when i say not much more i'm saying like 20 30 000 more maybe even less than that uh, get yourself a golf gti for example yeah um so my opinion would be yes german cars are in general more expensive yes that's right however the right German cars don't have to be. So, you know, if you're looking at the Volkswagen Audi range, uh, there's plenty of cars that have the two-liter TFSI engine. Um, so that's shared across the Beetle, the Golf, the, the well, they don't do the Scirocco anymore, but, you know, the, the smaller cars, right? Mm. Uh, and these things are generally really, really reliable. Just off the previous caller, you know, 200,000 kilometers, he's driving problem-free as well. Yeah. Um, so you can get a similar, you know, you like the kick, so you like a little small car. Well, Maybe GTI, Audi TT, even if you want to upgrade. If you want to throw in like a, like a, like a kick-style car, a little you know, mini SUV, yeah. uh, get, get, a, Tiguan. get a Tiguan or, or get a, uh, an early Macan. You know, yeah, the, the, exactly. I mean, there's, there's some really good options out there that, that in that kind of category. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Generally, the smaller the cylinder size, the less maintenance. So V8, you're paying a lot. V6, 
relatively okay. But a four-cylinder German car, there's not much that's going to go wrong with it, in all fairness. But having said that, just to confuse you a little more, there's... <laughs> Sorry, there's, there's, there's No, 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 not at all. But but uh, but you, you, you throw it up there. Is that there's nothing wrong with a, with a, a sub-44,000 kilometre Nissan Kicks 2022 model either. So... It really gets down to your your taste as to whether you yeah. you want to go to a German car. You want to keep a car that that's that's still yeah. going to be very reliable and get do do the job. I think that's what it was. It was whether I whether I said it because it does the job and it's absolutely perfect. Um, I do like although I wasn't used to Nissan at all. Um, it does it does everything I need. Um, so it was just ma- basically whether I sell it now because it's still worth pretty much what I bought it from the garage for. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say go test drive a GTI and then make a decision based on that. Well, do you know I'm actually talking to you from a, um, a I think it's a 2022 GTI right now. I've, <laughs> I borrowed my friend's car whilst mine's in the garage, and it's making me want one even more. Thoughts? Yeah, amazing car, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. It's very, it's very different from the kicks. When I put my foot down on this, I actually of course, fly in the of, kicks. of course, you're <laughs> se- you're selling it to yourself. You know that, don't you? I think he's already secretly made the decision. He just wanted someone on the other end to give him some <laughs> some wise words. Absolutely. All right, Craig. Great. Well, Thank well. You so much for your help. No problem. Absolute pleasure. All, all, the best. all the best with the dilemma. Thanks very much. Uh, Going to go straight now to the lines to Farouk. Farouk, again. Thank you for for, for hanging on for for a while there. Uh, good morning, Ed Mubarak. Uh, tell us about what you what you've got. You've got a, actually a nice car, Honda CRX. Tell me more about it. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, and Eid Mubarak to all of you. Eid Mubarak. Uh, yes. So it's a 1989 CRX. It's a European spec car. Uh, imported from Germany. Uh, it's got uh, 150,000 on the clock. It's got the less desirable uh, ZC engine, which is a non-VTEC engine. Um, however, perfectly, perfectly good for daily drive. But uh, I was just wondering, you know, if I should... I mean, it doesn't need fixing as such, but, you know, should I keep it? Should I flip it? Um, it's got no damages, uh, just very slight uh, bumper alignment here and there, but mm-hmm. nothing major. Uh, all the interior is intact. It's 150k on the clock, uh, and yeah, I do love the car. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first shape, is that right? This is the one with the, like, the little clear back window on the, on the hatch. Is that the one? Yes, yes, yes. It's not the first gen. This is the second gen. The second gen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so it's the two. It's a two seater, and it's a hatchback no, it's with four seater. Four seater. Okay. Four seater. Yeah. The 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 seats at the back are pretty tiny. Yeah. In the US, they came without the back seat, but in Europe, they had the yeah. small back that's, seat. That's, that's right. Yeah, I'm thinking because in our market in Australia, we had the, the rear seat delete option. Oh, it was, right. it was standard, yeah. But a lovely car. Um, and I think, honestly, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, as you say, it's a non-VTEC engine. However, those who love the car, and they're so hard to find now, mm. you can do a VTEC swap if, if you want a car to, to you know, to, to, to restore and do up and play around yeah. with. So I wouldn't be too concerned about the fact that it doesn't have the gun engine because there's so much more to that little CRX than just the engine. The yeah. engine is a jewel, but the chassis, the gearbox, the size, the compactness, yeah. it is absolutely one of the... Oh, I hate to say it, but almost the forgotten gems of of, really of nineteen eighties yeah. uh, and early nineties uh, uh, Japanese cars. Yeah, um, yes. right. And in, in my opinion, um, and I'm sure you know this, right? Th- this car is not worth a lot of money. Um, you know, it's right. worth what someone's willing to pay on the day. That could be anywhere from you know ten to twenty thousand dirhams, maybe even twenty five. Um, so I, I don't think it's a question of money here. It's a question of like if you enjoy it. 
if you're not bored of it, then definitely hold on to it. Like it's uh, you know it's a great little car. Um, unfortunately, like it's quite seasonal as well, so it's not the type of car you want to be driving around in these summer months. But I'm well, sure. it's got a brilliant, I mean, a very chilled AC in it, so I don't mind driving it. Yeah, when I'm alone, that's the only car that I drive. Honestly, well, it sounds like <laughs> you need to keep hold of this car. That's amazing. The fact that you enjoy it and you can even drive it in this summer with the night. Yeah, Japanese cars are known yeah. for like strong AC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my advice would be hold on to it. I mean, and it's such a small cabin too. Because yeah, yeah. so it gets in, cool quickly, right? right? I, yeah, I had, yeah. I had the, this is how old I am. I had one as a press car, and it was in summer in Australia, and no problem with the air conditioning. So don't well, worry about it. Yeah. I had the one. Ju- well, this is going back 15, 20 years ago in the UK. I think that the model just after this was called the Del Sol, and it had the yeah, roof, the electric yeah. roof that goes up and down. But that turned out to be the bubble shape. You know, that's never going to be a classic. But this is yeah. the nice old Japanese lines of the Hondas of the late eighties. Yeah. This is way more special than the Del Sol that I had, which came yeah. shortly after. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope that's right. giving you some, some some thoughts there, Farouk, as to whether to keep that one. I'd, I'd be keeping that's it. That's a blast from the past, that Del Sol, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the reassurance. And uh, while we're at it, I'm not sure if you have enough time or not, but since uh, now I think now right-hand drive cars are also being allowed on the road here, mm-hmm. uh, I have uh, some cars uh, back home uh, in Pakistan that I was wondering whether I should import them. So, what uh, if a collection that I can? Uh, I have a Nissan Figaro, 1991. And uh, Bring it. I have... A <laughs> okay. And uh, I have two of the, what we call as Truenos. Uh, one is 1975 and the other what we call as uh, AE86. Mm. The AE86 is a left hand drive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I've got uh, those there. I've uh, got an RX-7 with a 2JD swapped in it. Bring it. Uh, so all of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Bring, bring them over. Have fun with them. And if they're over 30 years, you can run right-hand drive cars yeah, here on the classic yeah, plates. Definitely. So no, no problem with that at all. Uh, they sound like Yeah, uh, so that's what I actually wanted to know. I yeah. mean, what are, the, what are the restrictions on the right-hand drive cars well, here now? Very quickly, because we are out of time, uh, but very, very quickly – Automotive Car Club, Sharjah yeah. or Dubai, uh, they're very accommodating with right-hand drive cars, especially once they reach classic status. It's, uh, I think, uh, just type in Automobile Touring Car Club, UAE. Yep. Uh, there's a lovely guy down there, I forget his name, but they'll be able to talk you through everything. But essentially, if it's a classic car, if it's more than a certain number of years, I think 25, 30, then they can just put the classic plates on right-hand drive, away you go. Yeah, you'll find it's, you'll find it's actually not, not too much of a difficult pro- uh, uh, prospect, yeah. Farouk. Yeah. Right? Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Always Thank you. Show, by the way. Always Thank a pleasure. So and enjoy those cars. Thank you, Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all we've got time for, for, for Fix It or Flip It. Naz, thanks for, for joining us again. We've got Absolute pleasure. lots of calls and, and texts coming in. We will get back to you on the next show. And, um, yeah, it's uh, the it, it's uh, it, it just it just flows through, doesn't it? Lots going on right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, guys.